Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. Part three of Originals. Uh, we've been in this series uh, from the beginning of October. And uh, today's title, if you're taking notes, is Original Pursuit. I was thinking about this week, um, the message, and I was thinking about this question that so many people ask these days in our world, people in our world who find it difficult to get past this question. And the question is, if there's a God, why is there so much evil in the world? This or a variation of this question is often asked by people when they are trying to make sense of life. They're trying to make sense of the world. They're trying to make sense of their place in the world. They're trying to make sense of faith. They're trying to make sense of truth. If there's a God, and this God has the power to stop bad things, why hasn't He done so? Now, have you noticed how sometimes, without even noticing, we become motivated by the things we despise? It's often that we do that. It's, it's kind of part of our culture. We see it in several outlets in our culture. We see it in the news, right? Negative news draws more attention, gets more clicks, gets more uh, 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 ratings than positive news. We see it in politics. It was said that back in 2016 in that contentious election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and then the surprise victory of Donald Trump, it is said that people were not actually voting for him, but that they were voting against Hillary. And then the following election uh, in 2020, again, the same mantra was repeated. Oh, no, people were not voting for Biden. They were not energized for Biden. So much so that he didn't even have to campaign. But they were energized against Trump. This is not new. We see it in every election. Negative ads dominate the political field in elections. Have you noticed that? They dominate it. If you're into politics, you know this. That's because we tend to be motivated by what we dislike. We tend to be motivated by what is negative. And in our personal and private lives, whether it is a point of fear, whether it's a point of anger, whether it's a point of past pain or maybe trauma, we often make decisions, we study, we progress, and we're often motivated not by what inspires us, not by by our dreams, not by our goals, not necessarily by what we value, but we're, we're motivated by those things that we either fear or are angry about or, or we suffered pain because of them. You know, it's, it's the young parent who says, I will never do what was done to me, to my children. I will not repeat what my parents have done. It's the person who was hurt by a toxic relationship an abusive relationship and says, you know, I have learned my lesson. I opened my heart. I let people in and I got hurt. So from now on, I'm going to be guarded and I'm not going to trust easily. And in the same kinds of things, 
uh, it happens in our faith. The same kind, the faith, the same kinds of things influence our faith. And many of us, we don't look at the good in the world. We don't look at joy. We don't look at the progress in the world. We don't look at all the healing in the world and say, look, there is a God. On the contrary, we look at the evil in the world. We look at tragedy. We look at destruction and we doubt the presence of the divine. Now, it could also be that for you, if you are in that situation, it for you, the resistance to have this idea of God, to embrace the idea of God, is not only because you wish that there would be an easier way to fix the big problems of the world. It's not only because you wish there would be an easier way to eradicate evil from the world, but perhaps in your life, there's something personal that happened to you, or maybe something that you're dealing with right now. And that circumstance, that situation, keeps you from giving your heart and opening your mind to the idea of God. Maybe you're dealing with something that people in your circle don't even know, and you just wish you could find freedom from it. There's a famous story in the scriptures known as Noah's Ark. Some people call it the story of the flood, but Noah's Ark is one of those stories that suffers a lot of scrutiny and, and I believe it suffers more scrutiny even than the story of the Garden of Eden because the main reason of the scrutiny is that the, 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 the Scripture says that the highest mountains on the earth was, were covered by water and, and by God's flood. And many voices have cast doubt on the validity of the story because there is no apparent evidence that such flood has occurred in the world. And the problem with that focus is that you're focusing on missing the point. You focus on the wrong part of the story. So instead of arguing for a footnote, I want to show you the actual point of the story today because I believe it has something to do with what you might be going through and, and the worldview uh, that you might have been asked about or that people around you um, have. The story begins with God assessing the state of the world. It's in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. You can follow on the scriptures. I'm reading on the screens. I'm reading from the ESV version. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God makes an assessment of the earth. He makes an assessment of mankind and he realizes that humanity is beyond repair. Humans are at a point that they're irredeemable. There's so much evil in the, in the hearts of men that the best solution is extermination. I want you to imagine the level of evil and violence that would cause God to regret making people. God regrets. He was sorry that he made men. I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation or in a circumstance where people were so harsh. 
that were so evil that you thought that, that the whole thing is corrupted, the whole thing is beyond repair. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, the story continues. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for, all, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Verse 17 says, For behold, I'm, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life is under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I'll, I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. There was so much violence and evil in the world that God says there's no hope for mankind. There's, they're as good as dead. I'm eliminating them, except for Noah. Except for Noah. And this teaches us two things. The first thing that it teaches us is that evil has no limits to the destruction that it can bring. And if you think, you know, we use this term, I've hit rock bottom, right? If you th there's no bottom. There's no, there's no end to how low evil can go. If you think you've hit rock bottom, there's a new bottom. There's a new low. There's no, there's no bottom in hell. It keeps getting worse. That's what we learn from this, this scripture. That when, when, when evil is left unattended, it can corrupt everything and everyone until the entire human experience becomes useless. And, and, and becomes disposable. Notice what we read a minute earlier. It says that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See, it's one thing when you hurt someone inadvertently. It's one thing when you do something and you're aiming at good and you end up harming somebody or you, you do something that, that, that really hurts somebody either physically or, or, or emotionally and, and you feel like, man, I, 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 I shouldn't have done that, but the damage is done and, and now you just got to move on. It's another thing when it's intentional. When the thought is, in, the intention is to harm. The intention is violence. The intention is to cause pain. And that's the picture that God paints. But then there's another side to the story. The second thing we learn is that even when the environment is terrible, and there's a lot of talk about environment, even when the problem is systemic, even when it's not conducive to healthy behavior, even when people are violent, and, and the values are not lined up, and the values have eroded, it seems like everyone around is cutting corners, and everyone is trying to take advantage of everybody, you don't have to succumb to that. You don't have to be influenced by that. You can live above the ways of the world. Because Noah did. Noah was not affected by the, by the corruption of the world. And apparently what we learn from the scripture is that righteousness gets you out of trouble. But what does righteousness mean? 
What does it mean? And even the fact that we need to ask that question reveals another inefficiency in our way of seeing the world. Because this is something that we know. It is easier for all of us to agree on what is evil than for us to agree on what is good. Isn't that right? It's easier for us to identify what is evil. We all agree that lying, murder, violence, abuse, hate, those are bad things. Things like that, they're they are bad, they're evil. So we want God to take care of those things, to remove those things. And according to the story, God did. God destroyed everyone and everything. It was a clean slate, a second chance for mankind. See, the beauty of Noah's Ark, the, the story of Noah's Ark, is that even though there was only one person worth saving, that there, when there's one person worth saving, God will not only save that person, but He will use that person to rewrite the story of mankind. All God needs to save the world is one man or woman who's willing to love Him, to follow Him. All God needs to change the story of your life, of your family tree, of your circumstance, is you. It's just you. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter your circle. It doesn't matter all the things that have happened. All he needs to redeem your family line is you. And the story of Noah's Ark is not just the story of God flooding the earth. But it's the story of God redeeming mankind. Because one person chose to be righteous. So the question remains. What does it mean to be righteous? And, and we need that answer. We need to answer this question. If we're going to be motivated by good. If we're going to be motivated by God. And not by evil. Not by fear. See, there's something that we need to understand about Noah. Sometimes we read the scripture and all the books are so close together. It feels like it's, it all happened in the same year. You know, like Genesis right there next to Exodus. And then there's the Psalms and... And then there's the New Testament, and, and you can read a chapter two, a book or two, and you feel like it just happened all together. Noah lived like hundreds of years before Moses. So you have to understand, like, jo Noah was not Jewish. Noah was not Christian. Noah didn't have the Ten Commandments. It hadn't happened yet. Noah has, had no priest guiding him. Noah was not part of Israel because Israel didn't exist. There was no Bible for him to read. There was no scripture for him to base his life on. There was no church. There was no synagogue. Yet Noah was righteous. Scripture calls him righteous. Now you might be of the opinion here today, if you're not a Christian and, and you're kind of like, toying with the idea, you might be of the opinion here today that all you need to be is a good person. A lot of people say that, and fair enough, I'll give you that, because Scripture says that he was righteous. There's a definition of what a good person means in the Scripture, and it says that he was that good person. The story says that the world was corrupt, but he wasn't. The world was filled with violence, but he wasn't. Every person's intention was evil, but Noah's intention was not. Noah was a good man. 
But again, what does it mean to be a good person? I have to wrestle with that question. And our world today doesn't give us answers. It really doesn't. Our world has a very ambiguous way, ambiguous way to define good. There's a strong drive for compliance. There's a strong drive for consensus. There's a strong drive for agreeableness. And we know that for a society to function, there's got to be a level of consensus, a level of compliance, a level of agreeableness. There's got to be some kind of, of, of alignment of values. So it is understood today that for you to be a good person, for, for us to be a good society, those things need to be present. But what happens when society goes awry? What happens when the majority is wrong? Can you tell when the majority is wrong in your circle? Can you tell when the majority is wrong in, in, in your communities? One of the things that, that we see that we can glean from the story of Noah is that one of the things Noah did to remain steadfast is that Noah sought and practiced those things that stood the test of time. And one thing that we will observe that we know from experience about evil is that evil rarely presents itself as evil from the beginning. You see, evil has a facade. It doesn't show itself as evil. And some of you have experienced that. You've engaged with either relationships or deals or things that, that you, you entered into that agreement or that relationship thinking that it was going to be a good thing and then evil kind of propped up and showed its head. Ooh. <laughs> and you took a step back and went like, whoa, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I intended to, to engage in. Come on. You've been there, haven't you? No? Just me? All right. Everybody here has never experienced evil. You guys are blessed and highly favored in the high life of Connecticut. Excuse me. You know, I'm sorry, man. We've been there, of course. If you say no, we pray for your lying spirit. <laughs> I'm only kidding. See, evil very often has a deception phase. A period of attractiveness and persuasiveness. So how do you remain undefeated against corruption, against evil? Well, I believe it has to do with Noah and it has to do with what Christ came to do. And one of the things that we learn from the scripture is that you can test in your life is that righteousness is not a state of being necessarily. See, righteousness is not who you are in a moment, but it is what you continuously pursue. It's what you continuously pursue. Good is not who you are in a moment, but what you continuously pursue. It's an aim. It's, it's, it's a process. And that's why what motivates our pursuit matters. Because we ought to be motivated by what, drives, by, by what drives toward righteousness. What would drive us toward righteousness. And here's what being good looks like in the, in the eyes of the world today. 
In the eyes of the world, we have a culture, like I said, that is strong on compliance, consensus, and the ideological common ground that is highly political. In other words, you have to declare your political allegiance. You have to say certain things. You have to say certain words. And then if you do that, you're seen as good by whatever segment or faction you're, you're pledging allegiance to. So you're good, but you're good according to whom? You're good to what end? What is the, dire the actual direction? How did Noah remain uncorrupted? How, how did Noah do it? Here's how he did it. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 gives us three short descriptions of how Noah lived. It says Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Three things that kept him from corruption. The first thing is that Noah was righteous. Now notice, righteous is a statement. Righteous stands alone. Righteous is not a matter of opinion. Righteous is not a consensus. It doesn't say that everybody saw Noah and they thought that he was righteous. People's opinion around him said he, he's probably righteous. It didn't say that we brought some experts to analyze his life. And the experts said Noah is righteous. No, it says he was righteous, period. Which means righteousness is objective. If, and, and also says that, that it also means that if you want to avoid catastrophe in your life, this is what we ought to pursue. We ought to pursue righteousness. See, there's a scripture in the New Testament in Hebrews that talks about this idea of pursuing righteousness. It uses the word holiness. In other translations, it uses the word uh, um, uh, sanctification. But it's the same thought. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You wonder why people don't see God in the world today? It's probably because they're being motivated by what's negative. They're being motivated by, by, by what they fear. They're being motivated by their point of pain or their point of trauma or the things that they disagree with or whether they feel like harms them. That's what motivates them each day. But if you're motivated to pursue righteousness, if you're motivated to pursue goodness, then, is what the scripture says, that you will see God. So you wonder, why, why, why can't people see God in the world today? It's because they're not pursuing righteousness. Because it says that if you don't pursue holiness or righteousness or, or sanctification, those are synonyms, you won't see the Lord. We can't see God in the world unless we pursue holiness. Number two, Noah was blameless in his generation. You know, this means that Noah was not influenced by influencers. It means that he, he remained steadfast. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says the following. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. See, it takes intentionality to be blameless. It takes intentionality for you to walk in the right path. It takes intentionality for you to ignore negativity. It takes intentionality for you to ignore corruption. 
to ignore gossip, to ignore envy, to walk away from strife, to walk away from animosity and things like that. It takes intentionality to be blameless. In the same token, it takes intentionality to choose faith, to choose peace, to choose love, to walk in grace, to walk in fidelity, in mercy, to choose forgiveness. It takes intentionality. And then it says that Noah walked with God. Now, if you're not a church person, this may sound weird. But it's okay because Noah wasn't a church person either. So you're in good company. See, it simply means that Noah prayed, that he spoke with God, that he talked to God. It means that Noah had a connection with God, that he could hear God. Now, I don't think Noah could hear God like you can hear me today, audibly. At least not every time. But he could recognize when God was speaking. Sometimes through a dream. Conversation with a friend. Sometimes the still small voice in his spirit. His spiritual ears were open. And the prophet Isaiah, he was trying to explain this principle, this idea, to a people that had unlearned how to hear God. See, the people of Israel, they had unlearned, they had forgotten. They, they knew how to hear God, and then they turned away from God, and, and, and they were practicing these other things, and they were worshiping other gods, and, and they were doing this thing over here, and they had forgotten how to hear God. And pro- the prophet Isaiah is saying, hey, God is bringing you back, and here's how you hear him. Isaiah 30, uh, verse 21, he says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Is the voice of God guiding you. And Noah had that. So you have to understand this. That Noah could have chosen to be righteous in the sight of the world. He could have chosen to be blameless in the sight of the world. As long as people's opinion of me are that I'm righteous and that I'm blameless, I'll be okay. But here's the problem. Unless he walked with God, he wouldn't have known what was about to happen. And his life wouldn't have been spared. So this is an essential part of of keeping your heart corrupt from the world. You know, Jesus made a statement regarding his mission, regarding his mission on earth. Jesus said this very simply, Luke 19, verse 10. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And it has been Jesus's mission from all from the beginning that we too become righteous, that we too walk in a blameless way, that we too may walk with God. Friends, I want you to understand today that yes, there is evil in the world. But there is evil in the world because people are lost and they are apart from God. They're making decisions based on what the world calls good. And the world's version of good is always shifting. I don't know if you've noticed that. That's all the world requires compliance because what's good today might not be good tomorrow, man. It's always changing. You just have to, you just have to comply and to, and, to, and to be agreeable. Have you noticed that? That the ways of the world, they, you have to agree, but there's no real guidance. There's no direction for your life. Author Theo Hobson makes three marks regarding the modern moral revolution. He says this, the first mark is that what was once universally condemned 
is now celebrated. We can all agree with that, right? Second is that what was once universally celebrated is now condemned. And the third, that every single one here feels the tension of this, is that those who refuse to celebrate are condemned. And that's a great description of the moral relativism we see in the world today. A high demand for compliance, like I said, but unclear direction and unclear guidance. You just have to agree. You have to, you have to nod your head and, and unless you want to lose your job or this or that or the other. You have to be on the same train of thought. This is not the way of Christ. This is not the way of freedom. We should not be motivated by our fears. We should not be motivated by our anger. We should not be motivated by our trauma or by our pain or by our negativity. What we are guided to do is to, be, it's to pursue righteousness. That's the original pursuit. To pursue what's good, to be blameless, and to walk with God. That's what keeps us from corruption and from catastrophe in the world. And Jesus, he issued a warning. Here's the warning that Jesus issued. Uh, and I'm going to close with this scripture. It's, it's in Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39. And David, if you're here, uh, you're welcome to join me. It says, as it, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day of Noah, up to the day when Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. See, Jesus is, is, is issuing a stark warning. And I believe if I were to ask you here, for stories either of your life or stories of people you know, you can identify with this text. Because most of us here, if not all of us, we can share a story of somebody who got completely lost in their pursuits. Somebody who gave themselves over to corruption, gave themselves over to evil, whether they knew of it or not. And at first it seemed like they were living it up, man. That life was good. They were oblivious to what was to come. But the end was destruction. The end was sorrow. The end was pain. See, the beauty of the message of Jesus is that we don't have to be lost. We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to be drowned by the sorrow and the storms of life. And in this sense, in this sense, Jesus has established his church to be a vessel. A vessel that will welcome everyone, all of those who want to follow him. And he, that will keep us above the waters, above the storms of life, above the, 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 the problems and, and the evil of the world. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, if you're here today and you're wondering why is there so much evil in the world, or maybe you've asked the question, if there's a God, why doesn't he eradicate evil? Well, first, what we learn from the story of Noah is that he did. And he has given us a second chance. But more than that, 
We learn from Christ that he has come to give us the way out. See, when Jesus came, people thought that he was going to sit in the throne of David, King David. That he was going to govern the world. That he was going to conquer the world like Alexander the Great. That he was going to tear down the Roman Empire and put a, a Jewish empire to rule the world for ages to come. That's the restoration that people were expecting. But Jesus said, no. The throne that we establish on the earth is not of this world. I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven to this earth. So that whosoever believes in me would not perish, but would earn, even in this life, everlasting life. So eternity begins here. Salvation begins here. Because Jesus has invited us to take part in this life that extracts us from the evils of this world, extracts us from, from being succumb to the things of this world that can drag you down and suck the life out of you. And he says, hey, follow me to a new life so that you can be elevated, so that you can be with me. And that's the invitation. So if anybody ever asks you, there's so much evil in the world. How come there's a God? You just tell him what I just told you. Just tell him. Uh, you have 30 minutes. I can, I can tell you about Noah. I can tell you about Jesus. And I can tell you about your opportunity to be part of a life where evil is revealed to you and you can, leave, you can live free of corruption, untouched, and unmarked by evil. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you. Yeah. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.